the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. All right, we're live. Uh, with me today, I have the CEO of the Association of Union Constructors, Steve Lindauer. Steve, how are you doing? Doing well, Tim, and thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks for being on the uh, on the podcast. Um, now, where is the Association of Union Constructors headquartered? Well, we're located in, well, it's uh, technically our mailing address is Arlington, Virginia. For those that are perhaps more familiar with the ins and outs of the uh, Washington, D.C. area, we're in Rossland, Virginia, which is literally right across the Key Bridge from Georgetown and Georgetown University. Oh, I love as that area. Flies, yeah, as the crow flies, uh, we're probably from Capitol Hill about 2.7 miles uh, directly west of, of the Capitol and just north of Reagan National Airport. Still so, good right, location. Right there in the heart of it all. Yeah. Um, the nice thing is uh, in my previous life, uh, uh, when I worked for AGC of America, I probably I had to cross over the Potomac River to get into DC. So it's I don't miss that. Even though it's not that far of a trip, makes a big difference. So this and is a prime location as far as I'm concerned. You've been with Talk since 2006, is that right? Uh, no, I've actually. I have been uh, with this organization. Actually, July 11th will be my 31st anniversary, 31 years I've been here. Wow. Oh, okay. So you became the CEO in 2006. In, in two, actually, 2006. Yeah, September 2006, I became CEO of Talk. And also, I, my other job is, because I do head up two organizations, is impartial secretary and CEO for the National Maintenance Agreements Policy Committee, which is one of our sister organizations. So it's really have two uh, boards that I report to, obviously, the talk board. And then we have, uh, since the NMAPC is a legally incorporated labor management committee, um, I have a labor management board of directors as well as the full committee, uh, which is made up of a total of 28 uh, individuals, half of which represent the contractor community, half which represent uh, our participating building trades international unions as well. So it uh, it keeps things going. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I bet. You've got to be – you have to be busy. Um, so how did you get involved in construction in, initially? Well, uh, actually, it was during high school um, in summers. I worked as a bridge repair assistant on the New York State Thruway Authority in upstate New York, which is uh, that same uh, interstate goes through the Cleveland area. It's I-90. And so I did that, uh, like I said, summers and then even in during college um pretty much doing you name it driving truck uh paving um and also jacking up uh bridge pier caps and columns due to deterioration of concrete 
as we know, as Northerners, salt and concrete don't get along mm-hmm. after a while. So that that was that that's kind of as I say, it taught me what I didn't want to do the rest of my life. But here I am; I'm still involved in construction. <laughs> and uh, um, but actually, after coming down here to D.C. area, I've been here now. Uh, let's see; it'll be. Um, Coming up on 40 years, I've been in the D.C. area living here. And when I came down here in 1979, I was actually to attend business school, grad school at American University, where I got my master's from. And shortly thereafter, landed a job with uh, the Associated General Contractors of America, ultimately uh, became director of collective bargaining services and spent six years and a month. And then I transitioned had an opportunity to come over here. Uh, at that time, we were known as the National Rectors Association. And uh, in 2007, right uh, shortly after I took over uh, as CEO, we became TALK, the Association of Union Constructors. So we've evolved uh, as an association, really primarily due to the growth uh, of our maintenance contractors uh, and the NMAPC program, which, uh, you know, at, at, in our heyday, uh, I would say we had, in terms of signatory contractors, back in the 90s, about 4,000 signatory contractors were hovering around 2,000 now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, there's been a decline, obviously, in the numbers, uh, but I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One of them is consolidation. I mean, right. We all see it. Yeah, we've definitely seen that. association executives, we see consolidation um, weekly, monthly, annually in different forms. So that's kind of how it started, and here I am uh, continuing on. So Sure. It's been, been, been a great, uh, great opportunity. I love this industry, and, and I've been very fortunate to be involved in it. Well, for people who um, aren't familiar with Talk, CEA is a local employer organization, part of Talk, and um, we engage with the other cities in Ohio, with the other the other cities nationally, uh, the other union associations, and uh, compare notes, work on initiatives together. We're also um, loosely affiliated with the Associated General Contractors (AGC). Of, um, of America through our affiliation with the AGC of Ohio here in Ohio. But um, I think a lot more people are probably familiar with the AGC. What's the difference between talk and AGC? Well, um, obviously two different nonprofits. Um, I think I would say that AGC uh, is really, um, well, they're full, AGC is probably the largest contractor association, I would even say in the world. I mean, they're they're certainly not the size, like any organization, uh, of what they used to be when I was there, but be that as it may, uh, they are extremely formidable in terms of their representation of their contractors uh, before the federal government on Capitol Hill as well. Um, One of the things that uh, I found when, uh, as working there, but eventually even now 
is kind of a change in their representation of contractors. So they represent uh, both union and non-union contractors. I, I, I think it's safe to say they're probably representing more non-union than they are union at this point. I don't. I, they don't even have a collective bargaining services division anymore. When I was there, we had uh, there were three of us servicing the union contractors. But um, you know, there there are things we work together with, and one of those, for example, is pension reform. Uh, I know we work closely with them on that. Um, and, and probably things such as infrastructure that we're advocating for as well. But, uh, yeah, it's just our, our organization as we are, we, we are what we say we are. We're union contractors, union constructors, and, uh, that is my interest. I, I like to say I'm hap, I'm basically a labor relations, more of an industrial relations guy that happens to be an association executive. Right. And, uh, we, our organization, we'd like to say, is uh, probably one of the larger national organizations and that that are represents multi-craft. So we have a relationship with all 14 crafts, uh, what I use uh, referred to as building trades crafts. And uh, that, that comes primarily, certainly, through uh, the national maintenance agreements and the administration of that program as well and the relationships we've established with uh each international union sure. so it, it, it's it's a different ball game than what i was used to uh when i cut my teeth in this business working at agc but i i will say i you know as a compliment to uh my days at agc i learned a lot and uh it really prepared me for what I'll refer to as the next chapter of my life, which is uh, which is both talk and the NMAPC. Sure, yeah. Well, there's a lot of good people involved in both organizations that I've met, and yep. uh, feel privileged to be a part of each of those. Um, uh, in terms of some of the differences in positions, not to focus on AGC at all, because you know, that's not the purpose of this podcast. But mm-hmm. what what are what is talk working on from an advocacy standpoint? Well, uh, a number of things. I can tell you, and I referenced working with AGC on certain things like pension reform, one of the things that we have built up over the past, let's say, uh, two to three years, Tim, is our advocacy approach relative to being more active uh, with government relations. We we have a a full-time lobbyist on retainer. Uh, in that regard, we work with a coalition. We call it the Construction Employers of America, uh, and I'll refer to that really as a legislative coalition. The acronym will be familiar, Tim, CEA. It's a good name. Um, yep. Made, and it's made up of talk, but we, as part of that, we have the National Electrical Contractors Association, or NECA, participates. The Mechanical Contractors Association of America, or MCAA, the Sheet Metal and Air Conditioning National Association, or SMACNA, uh, the Finishing Contractors Association International, the International Council of Employers of Bricklayers and Allied Crafts, and the Signatory Wall and Ceiling Contractors Association. So we, we under that umbrella 
we collaborate. We do uh, host events together on a legislative front every year. Uh, and we work uh, on things that really what we feel, the Union Signatory Contractor Associations, uh, we think that this collaborative way of uh, doing business to leverage our collective memberships to address common concerns in, our, in the construction and maintenance industry is really the way to go. And, and it's really part of the fiber, I would argue, too, of how you get things done in uh, Washington, D.C. You know, you can go it alone or you can find like-minded organizations with like-minded interests to coalesce and become a coalition. Uh, let's face it, there's strength in numbers. I think we all realize that. So with that, uh, one of the things, one of our most recent things we did is, which I would say is a must if you're going to really get into the weeds of legislative advocacy is creation of what we call talk path. And that was launched last year. Uh, we're still in the early stages and ramping that up. Uh, the goal is really to use the PAC, the Political Action Committee, to augment our lobbying activities uh, to support those on Capitol Hill who we feel are allied with us on key issues. Sure. And it also gets you a seat at the table, expands your uh, our potential influence uh, on Capitol Hill. Uh, it all the pack also, in my mind, signals that government relations and legislative regulatory change is a top priority for talk and its members. So it does represent, in our view, a, a, a step to the next level. And I can say we're in this for the long term. We're committed to making sure our members' voices are heard, and uh, this is something that goes hand in hand if you're going to. Uh, be in this battlefield, if you want to call it. So one one of the primary things is multi-employer pension reform. Sure. And uh, this is something I think is a priority, not just for our members, but for our local employer organizations as well. As a matter of fact, Tim, I believe uh, you folks signed on to a letter recently that uh, we as all, as CEA members, and we've reached out to our local employer organizations as well that uh, signed on to letters urging bipartisan support for pension reform in both the House and Senate. And it's, it's really about getting their attention. You know we've, we started strong down that road uh, as far back as three years ago. And the urgency seems to have dwindled. And the purpose of those letters was to get those who find pension reform, multi-employer pension reform, and want it to be a priority to let people know we're not going away. We're still here, and that is something that will remain dear, near and dear to our heart uh, as well. So that, that's that's one of the efforts sure. we're looking at. Well, to that uh, point, I— well, to, to that issue, I understand that there are a couple large, massive um, national pension plans, not 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 even in the construction industry, but some of them are in the mm-hmm. mining industry or the uh, the machinists that are in deep trouble, financially speaking, and uh, could be knocking on the government's doorstep even as early as next year with out of money. 
um, hundreds of thousands of of families and retirees that are going to be asking their representatives for help next year. So they can put it off for maybe this year, but I don't think they can put it off any longer. No, you you raise a good point, Tim, because those plans, you know, you mentioned the mine workers, uh, also the probably the preeminent one is the uh, Teamster Central States Pension Fund, which is huge. And, you know, at this point, it's destined to crash. It's destined to go belly up uh, in a matter of, I would say, a few three to five years. And you're right. It's going to jeopardize uh, the pensions for tens of thousands of people. So right now, there's a uh, bipartisan uh, bill that's out there. It's called uh, Rehabilitation for Multi-Employer Pensions Act, which is pa- was passed in the House. And what it is is a rebranded version of what is known as the Butch Lewis Act that uh, one of your representatives, Sherrod Brown, introduced in the last Congress. And it was reintroduced in the House by Richard Neal of Massachusetts. So it is, a at this point, a bipartisan bill. It has 10 House sponsors, five from each party. Uh, the House, and Ways, House Ways and Means Committee is actually going to be marking the act up uh, next week, uh, after the 4th of July week. Uh, and it would recreate a pension rehabilitation administration within the Treasury Department. So what what that would obviously do would look at plans, let's say like Teamsters, Central States, the miners, if you will, uh, PRA, as we'll uh, call it, would administer the Pension Rehabilitation Trust Fund and issue loans to trouble plans so they can meet their pension obligations. Now, I will say, you know, up front, this is not a bailout because plans are required by law as it's currently written to repay those loans. So right now, there's lots of support from both Democrats and Republicans. Hopefully, you know, something could get done. But I will say our priority, I can say ours as talk as well as CEA is to get legislation passed that will offer the use of composite plans. You know, the ability to have other tools that the trustees would uh, be able to consider in transitioning uh, to a different model and ultimately look at uh, getting rid of withdrawal liability once and for all. It it will make the whole industry healthier and and remove a big barrier to more union contractor companies being created. Uh, No one wants to be saddled with liability. If others uh, contributors go bankrupt, so that remains our priority. But right now, that bill I just referenced seems to be moving. Now, again, Tim, this is just the House. Whether it can survive and get some traction in the Senate, in, in the Senate, that's a big question. Sure, I, I don't know the answer to that. But uh, right now, that's the kind of the game in town when it comes to multi-employer pension reform, for better or for worse at this point. So and, we'll see what happens. And uh, you mentioned Sherrod Brown. Are, are you working on both sides of the aisle when you're pursuing these initiatives? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, the way I've always looked at things, and it's probably not fair to label, but, I mean, being honest about it, uh, 
you know, we are working also, I, I mentioned these contract associations. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention we're working with uh, the North American Building Trades Unions and both individual internationals as well as the Building Trades Department or NAB2 as well. So we've been working hand in hand, whereas their advocacy seems to be more in the realm of the Democrats, whereas our contractors and Leos and like also might have uh, bipartisan relationships, but will tend to work more on the other side of the aisle with the Republicans to get them to work jointly together. There's actually a what's called a building trades coalition uh, up on Capitol Hill uh, that uh, uh, Congressman Norwood, who is an IBW member from, uh, from South Jersey, uh, and a member of Congress, and, and Dave McKinley from West Virginia, who's a Republican and actually an engineer, uh, those two have established, which we support, this Building Trades Coalition, which is a bipartisan coalition. Frankly, uh, I will tell you that I think that has benefited us all, particularly there have been uh, attempts to gut or eliminate the application of Davis-Bacon. Uh, in many act in many many different forms, many different ways, and I know that we have been able to work together with the building trades, uh, our union partners, to uh, beat those efforts back uh, by virtue of let's say in the neighborhood, even around 56 Republicans who vote with us to maintain. Uh, the Davis-Bacon Act and its application. Well, that's great. So it does work. It does work, Tim, if we can get them to work, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, right. you read the paper. Is it not much seems to be getting done. Uh, you know, this vitriol that exists, um, I'd say, inside the Beltway, it's not, it just hasn't helped our country in, no. in many respects. And I'm not pointing fingers either right. way. It's just you got to work together. You know, well, I noticed. I noticed that uh, I think it was three or four days after our president was sworn in, the building trades, several of the building trades general presidents were sitting in his office, uh, yep. meeting with him. Yeah. So that's and 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 what's ironic about that, even Sean McGarvey, I mean, said in the previous. Uh, two administrations, same administrations, you know, because Obama was president for two terms, they never had that opportunity, which is, you, you you look at the politics and you look at that, you say to yourself, that seems pretty ironic, doesn't it? You know? Right. Uh, but, but there seems to be a, definitely a relationship between uh, the unions, the building trades unions, and uh, and the president uh, as well, uh, and I think that continues behind the scenes. And and I tend to view, quite frankly, the building trades that that, that umbrella have to probably more uh, boots on the ground, realistic uh, in terms of politics than most people think. Everyone thinks, and I even alluded to it, that they're all Democrats. The unions, uh, for a fact, have studied this. Over, over fifty percent of their membership voted for Trump. Yeah, that's not surprising. And that—that's a fact that cannot be denied. They'll, they'll tell you that. 
So and issues like I mean, uh, Davis Bacon. You mentioned Davis Bacon earlier, um, and having the fifty-six Republican um, representatives support Davis Bacon, which is the prevailing wage law nationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, Davis Bacon and, and state prevailing wage laws is a pro business issue. Um, those who characterize it as a union issue are are missing half of the point. Half the point is this is this allows businesses that have been around, family businesses, um, corporations that have been around for uh, hundreds of years in some cases, to compete on a level fl- playing field so that they can provide that governmental entity the best quality project that can be had. So um, that's a pro-business issue that that ensures that taxpayers get what they pay for. Yeah, a great point, Tim. And you're exactly right. I I think, uh, like as I like to say, this is a city of spin here, and there are those that want to dress it up as something it isn't. And uh, you, uh, Dave is big. I mean, let's face it, the fact of, of uh, you know, we can debate unions and, and look, unions are not un- a union. There, there's different types of unions, different culture, different philosophy. I focus on building trade unions because we, 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 we train our people. Um, we invest in our people. Uh, we believe in the middle class, which is what they've helped create. And frankly, um, when I look at our members, and I, I'm talking about our union contractors, your union contractors. They they voluntarily sign collective bargaining agreements. No one's forcing them to do it. It's just it's it is a business plan. It is how they ch- choose to do business in partnership with the unions, both locally and on a national level. And I think it's uh, you know it, it just speaks for itself. And I think one thing that's coming down the pike and, and something we need to uh, be aware of is this recent, uh, uh, basically this proposed rule that was issued by the Department of Labor that would introduce uh, and encourage the creation of apprentice training programs across a wide variety of industry sectors and it's no these programs are, are referred to as industry recognized apprenticeship programs or what we call IRAPs. Now this just hit the street last week and uh, it's 155 pages long. It's, it's not an easy read and we're currently uh, going through it but what it would one of the things we're concerned about is protecting the quality and integrity of our registered apprenticeship system within the union construction and maintenance industry. Um, right now, the proposed rule contains an exemption from IRAPs being established in our industry. And our argument is, hey, look, our, we already have a system. You know, 54% the vast majority of registered apprenticeship programs are in our industry. Right. We, we have a system that works. It's sustainable. It has been sustainable. We invest $1.6 billion a year collectively. Our contractors and, pay and, for and, it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, covering a, uh, 1,600 training facilities across the country. So even, even uh, Secretary of Labor Acosta refers to our 
training programs as the gold standard, you know, the best training anywhere. So we're going to be guarded and very active, and everyone's going to have to be participate in commenting and providing unique comments on these proposed rules. One of the keys is is that uh, I mentioned about DOL said they would not approve any construction IRAPs, at least initially. And that what is concerned is that term, at least initially. Okay. Um, we want that exemption to be permanent right. in our industry. We don't feel a need to uh, reinvent the wheel or dilute what has been built up literally over 100 years. Uh, so with this— again, would this take the Department of Labor or state departments of labor out of the business of overseeing apprenticeships? You know, Tim, I, I think it could. I can't answer that. You and I did have a conversation briefly about this, and I'm still not clear what the impact will be on those programs that are registered by state. You know, a lot of times you talk about federal regulations, federal law preempting state laws or state regulations. It's not clear from what I've read how that will impact those. Um, I could tell you right now, in its initial stage, and by the way, these, the, the, uh, these proposed rules, which appear in the Federal Register, there's a 60-day comment period. We have written uh, under the again under the auspices of CEA, the Construction Employers of America. We have uh, already provided comments asking that you know, right now the comments would be due August 26. But we have already uh, written a, a joint letter. Joint. It actually had a half a dozen organizations on it to extend the deadline. Uh, we want another 30 days on top of it. We'd like to see a 90-day count because these 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 this proposed rule is very extensive. Like I said, it's 155 pages long. It's it's quite a slog when you want to read through it and connect the dots of what's going on. Right. But we will be advocating that that exemption be permanent for the construction industry. Um, who's taking the yeah. Who's taking the opposing view on that issue? Uh, I can tell you that at least from what I've read uh, in publication and through their press releases, organizations like, believe it or not, the AGC, uh, the Associated Builders and AGC of America, uh, the Associated Builders and Contractors, which represents non-union, exclusively non-union contractors, uh, the in- Independent Electrical Contractors Association, which is non-union uh, electrical companies as well. So it- it's really the non-union. And see, these IRAPs, what you're going to have is basically the industries that they establish these in, they police themselves. They won't be federally registered anymore. It- it- it's pretty loosey-goosey. It, it, they, they, they've got a very elaborate uh, system that they talk about where you establish these uh, organizations that will essentially um, recognize uh, and, and approve these uh, programs moving forward. And so that's what you, when you get into reading 
through these proposed rules that, you know, they're called standards recognition entities, SREs. And they're the ones that will make the rules and establish the criteria. And then your apprenticeship program will be reviewed by those uh, industry apprenticeship programs, by the, an SRE, maybe even multiple ones, and say, you're certified, you're good to go. So uh, what, do they, I, I, what do they have to gain by doing that? Well, what, what I, this is the result of all this is from President Trump's initiative of recognizing, looking at our apprenticeship programs and saying, you know what? Everyone doesn't need to go to college. Everyone doesn't want to go to college. Um, we should have opportunities to train people as, you know, through an apprenticeship program, train them up so that they can uh, become uh, viable employees in, in any particular industry whether it's training someone how to uh, program uh, computers or uh, build dyes or be a machinist trainee or whatever it may be, industries that could basically adopt and come up with an apprenticeship program and move forward by training people and making investment in, in their people uh, going forward. So this is something that, you know, president, I think this, the president is very near and dear to his heart. And what these proposed rules are now are, is the underbelly, the guts of what it'll look like and how it will be put in place. And we were very concerned. I was at a meeting at the, uh, with Sean McGarvey, president of the building trades over at the building trades, uh, two weeks ago before this came out. And our big concern, Tim, was that they were going to take out that construction exemption. We were pleasantly surprised to see it was put in there. But again, this is a proposed rule. Right. It, it doesn't mean it's going to stay in. Everyone gets an opportunity to comment. And one of the things we've been told is, the, you know, the old days of, let's say, I write a letter and send it out to everyone and say, hey, just put your signature on this and change the address and put it on your letterhead, and and let's say we generate a thousand letters, okay? But they're all the same. That's right. not going to fly. They they have software now and algorithms that if you got a thousand of those letters, they'll be counted as one. Right. It's a numbers game, quite frankly. So that's what I mean when I say unique comments. I hate to get the weeds on this, but this is this is an important point that. It really has to be your words, you know, uh, kind of like our conversation here. You know, why are you, why do you think our, you know, answer questions? Why do you think these apprenticeship programs are the best? You know, right. think about it. You know, you can come up with a scenario. So people are going to have to put a little bit more effort into these uh, to make sure that we're heard collectively uh, in terms of how we view these proposed rules. Is there uh, money? Rex. Is there money at stake in these? Yes. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, one of the questions initially was, well, okay, this is great, but how do you fund this? There was, I think there's a bill floating around, and it might be through uh, DOL's funding, 
And they've been u- talking about using monies that are collected through the processing of H H-2B visas. There's, uh, But I've heard numbers about anywhere, let's say about $250 million might be available. Now, the ironic thing is that would be a grant, if you will, or an availability to just about any IRAP out there. It even even from what I've read, even union, which is weird because as you and I talked about, our contractors and, and we we help fund our apprenticeship joint apprenticeship, their joint apprenticeship programs right. of them even applying for monies, and that's another thing. Why you know these are privately funded uh, entities that we have in our world. Why should the taxpayers or the federal government be involved? in funding those as well. You know, we found a way right. at the collective bargaining table way back when. So yeah, I was going to uh, ask that because that adds a whole nother dynamic to it. Well, sure. Because I, I was going to say there's nothing stopping anyone, any employer from starting an apprenticeship plan right now. But if, unless there's some kind of incentive to do it through this other method and which you just spoke to, there's potential grant dollars at stake. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, again, there, when you read through these, there, the questions really pop up as to the integrity of what will these things actually look like, particularly if, if, if like I said, they're going to be self-certified as opposed to uh, like we do. We, we, we are federally, either states register them, or the federal government register, and there's there's oversight, and so um, this is going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out, Tim. But we have to, For sure. we we have to be on top of this, our industry, because we are we are the center of uh, apprenticeship training in this country. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Would you say this is the most important issue you guys are working on right now? I I think it is. As of right now, I would say absolutely yes, and I I feel very comfortable saying it is as well with uh, all all the Building Trades International Union. I just got the June uh, Iron Worker magazine, and General President Eric Dean's article, "Taking Action to Protect Our Apprenticeship Programs." And, and it's it's exactly what we've been talking about. So this is this is kind of like uh, the steel line from Ford Motor Company. This is job one right now. Yeah. Well, what can our contractors do to to help this issue? Well, what we're going to be asking, and and we're going to help. We're going to work with our local four organizations as well as our contractors. We're, we're working behind the scenes to come up with some general oversight of what this all this is all about, and we're going to be sharing that information and, and imploring that everyone take the time to uh, make comments, again, unique comments, as to, uh, uh, and the most important one is to make that construction industry, uh, make sure it's as exempt from these industry recognized programs we've got our system that's we want to definitely be exempt from IRAPs and and continue on the way way we have so uh, 
I don't have a problem. I don't think we have a problem that other industries might want to emulate what we've been able to accomplish. But it, it, I guess my, the simplest way to put it, it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right. And, and we don't need to be fixed. So, um, yes, we, we also, Tim, it's of interesting to note that talk is the interface between the unions and the other signatory contractor associations. So we're working directly with the staff uh, at the North American Building Trade Union's offices uh, in downtown D.C. uh, and sharing that information with uh, all the other national associations as well. So we got a pretty good system in place. And again, it's, it's really about being coordinated and working together and pulling the oars all in the same direction so we can make sure we're of one mind but different comments and different focus uh, so those comments will be made. So, Absolutely. Uh, yep. We're, we need to see this through. Yeah, this is critical. I, well, hey, Steve, I appreciate your time. Um, is there anything while we're wrapping up that you want to uh, – else that you want to communicate to our members any events coming up that you want to promote no just uh one thing i'll promote is if people are mark their schedules that uh uh, one of our big uh second annual industrial grade innovation conference and expo is coming pretty quick and uh we're going to be holding this in uh in the great state of ohio um, in Cincinnati. And last year was a big success. It was our first trip with this organization. So um, we, we are looking forward to this. Um, we've got quite an action pack. It'll begin uh, on Tuesday, September 10th. We're meeting at the Hyatt Regency in Cincinnati. And uh, it will wrap up uh, on Thursday, September the 12th. So 10th through the 12th, the people, uh, cutting-edge technology. We've got some pretty neat speakers, and there's uh, the expo will be well attended. Uh, we need to become more adaptive to technology. Um, our industry has been fairly slow in picking up the mantle of technology and we think it's the time is right particularly with some of our legacy partners like DeWalt and Procore who are intimately involved in talk Uh, these kinds of things I think are going to gather more and more momentum uh, as we continue on our journey in this industry And and it's much needed so if people, your members, anyone can attend, please join us Great. Well, I will uh, follow up with you, and in the show notes to this episode, we'll put all the links to the legislation that we we were discussing, the proposed DOL rules, uh, the industrial-grade conference that's coming up, and we'll send the message out, get people people the word. And and, um, especially when talk is ready to start accepting or start giving guidance to employers on how to give feedback to this proposed DOL rule. Uh, we will definitely Absolutely. be, be that right there with you. Good. 
Well, thanks a lot, Steve. We should do this again just to regularly keep our contractors here in Ohio up to date on what Talk is doing for us. Um, I really appreciate. We, we need to do a better job from our end, Tim. We we just had a uh, strategic planning meeting with our board of directors last week, and that was one of the things uh, we 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 need to do a better job of that. We we have a individual on retainer who is a marketing person who's doing a great job. You're going to see our footprint grow on social media much more. So uh, it's exciting times, and and. We want to be there for you and for your members as well. That's what this is all about. Well, hey, I appreciate all you're doing for us. And uh, so if someone wants to learn more about Talk or any of the uh, other organizations you mentioned, how can they find you? One, one of the, obviously, one of the best ways is our website at www.tauc.org. Uh, there's a lot of information there. If you need to get uh, any information on the national maintenance agreements, some of the things we're doing, just uh, org as well. One of the tools on there, if people who are new to the program, is NMAIQ, which is videos. And we'll, it's soup to nuts on how the program works, how the agreements work as well. So. It, the, the, those are useful tools and probably the quickest way to connect with us and get up-to-date information as well. Great. Thanks again, Steve, and I guess we'll sign off. Have a great Fourth of July holiday, and I'll talk to you, you soon. You too, Tim. Take care of yourself. You too. Bye-bye now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.